one's a uh, big one for me because um, we've got a guest today who turned out to be a bit of a mentor to me from a baseball perspective, um, gave me an opportunity as a young coach and um, introduced me to the word slappy, which was actually short for slapdick and often used in the context of, Stu, stop being a slappy. Uh, Gary Van Toll. Uh, long-time minor league coach and manager, uh, Division One baseball coach, and now the manager of the Boise Hawks joins us. Gary, welcome, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dewey, man. Pleasure uh, spending some time with you. I was going to dodge the slappy piece, but it was bound to come up at some time. <laughs> Young coach, Australian guy in the middle of nowhere, first foray into coaching junior college baseball. And, uh, yeah, you certainly uh, – I. I must admit you helped, and I've said this to you before, certainly helped me straighten out some edges and uh, pointed me in the right direction, not only in baseball, but life. So I owe you a lot. And uh, I do appreciate you kind of joining us to to talk through, I guess, independent baseball. Um, in Australia for a long time, independence, independent leagues and independent baseball was always known as kind of the last stop on the way out of professional town. Or if you played college baseball and didn't get drafted, you might give it a shot in independent baseball. So a lot has changed and really keen to talk to you about how those changes came about. Um, be good to run through your resume a little bit, just so that everyone knows you have uh, a little bit of credibility, but um, you started out coaching college baseball and from there moved into affiliated professional baseball with the Chicago Cubs organization. Um, what, what, I guess what what was for you? What was the difference in college baseball to professional baseball, and why why the move? Well, just opportunity knocked and timing, and um, yeah, I got a little bit lucky too, and and had some relationships built over the years, and and uh, yeah, I look back now and jumping into pro ball uh, out of the college ranks, you know. It, happens a lot more now but back then it, it it that was the minority it didn't happen very often you know I was the college guy and and uh <clears throat> but I really learned a whole nother master's degree and you know working with the top players uh, in the world helping develop them seeing at the biggest level you know at the major leagues and working with some guys you know that that made a living playing in the big leagues and and now we're coaching I mean I just it was uh, it was a great eye opening experience and one that I look back that has kind of helped me mold into who I am today and you know it, it, it's crazy looking back at my journey and I was talking with uh, <clears throat> a longtime junior college coach in the Northwest Mark Yoshino at a Bellevue College uh, community college in in outskirts to Seattle and he just you know we we've been grinding for a long time and. He's been at Bellevue for a long, long time, and he said, you know, man, you, you look at your resume, and, and you've been able to do it at every level, and, you know, I feel pretty blessed for sure to, to have all those experiences and, and to keep grinding after 30-plus years, and I guess, you know, I'm getting close to people calling me a lifer, and, and not too many guys get that opportunity, and, and now to have this whole new journey in independent baseball, uh, this is this is a new experience for me, and when I was reaching out to some guys I trusted in the game, who, you know, worked with major league organizations and, and had experience in independent baseball, it was uh, kind of unanimous with everybody that I touched base with to to ask them, hey, what do you, what do you think? What, what's indie ball all about? And every one of them said it'll be the the most fun you've ever had in the game. And, uh, after finishing our first season, uh, they were, they were right. It was, uh, it was an absolute blast. It was a grind like I never thought or was prepared for. And, um, you know, we, we were able to get through this first season and, and now we, we know what to expect a little bit and, and people are fired up here, at least in Boise and in the pioneer league, everybody took their knocks getting uh, kind of kicked to the curb by Major League Baseball uh, because all the teams in the Pioneer League were affiliated and uh, all of them got the news that, hey, you're no longer welcome in the club and good luck and, and hopefully you figure it out. And so 
We've been uh, building this airplane while we've been trying to be in the air flying in it. But uh, it's, it's been really exciting. I'm blessed to be a part of a great ownership group and a great front office. And uh, the support in this community, we're in a great market. And, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, we control our own brand now and uh, our business plan. And, and we're all pulling the rope in the same direction uh, with the entire organization. And this is uh, Boise's team now. It's not the Cubs or the Angels or the Rockies. It's it's Boise's team. So it's uh, kind of a, a new a new uh, landscape that uh, we're, we're, we're building and trying to figure out as a league and as a, an independent club in, in a very good market, but it's, uh, it's been a great ride. So there's a lot to unpack. I wanted to, <clears throat> we'll certainly do that, but I suppose before we get there, your, your journey and how you ended up here was, it's fascinating. It's kind of sad. <laughs> sad. Um, so you left, you left a minor league job with the Chicago Cubs uh, to take on a Division One head coaching role, which was the Boise State um, position. They were resurrecting the baseball program um, that had been dormant for 20 or 30 years. Uh, you get the head job and you were tasked with, we're starting from scratch. We don't have a facility. We don't have a team. Uh, we don't even have really have uniforms just yet and go build it. <clears throat> and you spent two or three years building it, putting a roster together, uh, Season kicks off in 2020 um, and then gets shut down with COVID and then almost a month later, the university canned the program. Now, without delving into too much of it, um, A, that must have been a real kick, but but the decision-making process in starting a program and then canning the program, that all had to come down to financials. Like schools were losing money, COVID had kicked off. How do you... How do you bounce back from that? And what do you, what was that experience like? Well, I mean, that opportunity that really came about again, the timing and living in Boise, the relationships that I had built and just, you know, again, my resume and um, some references, it, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I never, really had any intentions of going back to the college game after, you know, spending 10 years in, in pro ball and with one organization and being a part of a world series championship in 2016. And I mean, the last thing I was thinking about was, you know, applying for college jobs and Boise state reached out to me and asked me if I would have any interest. And, you know, really what it came down to the opportunity to start, a program basically from scratch that had a 40 year gap, uh, no alumni base, not a baseball. I think, you know, one of the uh, football equipment guys found a helmet, um, that was used, you know, 40 years ago. And, and, you know, having that opportunity really was, uh, intriguing and challenging and, and one that just doesn't come around in one's lifetime. And so, yeah, going back and, and kind of having a do-over, I was excited to to bring some of the pro mentality into the college game, working with all these top college players that were drafted and came out of Power 5 schools, Division 2 schools, JC schools, and just getting to, to learn about their journey at the college game and what they liked, what they didn't like. And, and then here I found myself, yeah, at the Division 1 level, uh, again, at a very recognizable um, brand across the country at Boise State, people were fired up. They were excited. I mean, it was it was uh, it, it was an awesome ride. And again, just building it from scratch, um, I feel blessed to have that opportunity. And yeah, who would have predicted that it was going to come to a crashing end? But as everything, it, it's all about money. And uh, you know, they felt that they weren't going to have the finances to support it once COVID hit but you know this community rallied and within a month we had about 1.5 million of private funding that was going to self-fund the program and you know going back to the president and the athletic director at the time saying hey we've got the money to fund this program to keep it going and I'll be fully responsible for it Um, it, it was just something that they didn't want so what 
again, came down to what everybody thought was all about the money at the end of the day, just, it wasn't a priority. And mm. so, um, again, life's journey and, but everybody was taking knocks and punches, you know, all across the, the planet, um, with this virus. And, you know, it's, it's been a challenging time, but, you know, God's plan, you, you trust in that process and other opportunities open up. And again, I just kind of fell into this when the Boise Hawks got the news at the final hour that Major League Baseball had decided that they were going to be one of the, the 40 minor league teams eliminated in affiliated baseball. They were scrambling, trying to find, you know, someone to, to lead the charge and manage the team and, here I was looking for a job and, you know, I had a couple opportunities to go back to affiliated baseball, which was, you know, exciting, but, uh, the time away from, from my family and, you know, it's about a seven month, uh, commitment where you're, you're gone and grinding it and, uh, the chance to be able to stay in Boise and take on this, this new challenge, new adventure, uh, with the Boise Hawks again, with a great ownership group and a great front office, I, I would have been hesitant to jump in to the deep end again with some, some people that were telling me everything I wanted to hear, but uh, couldn't execute it. But knowing these people firsthand, you know, being in the Northwest league, being in Boise with the Cubs and then in Eugene. Um, yeah. I had some relationships built and it, it didn't take very long to get all the ducks in line to, to take this job. And, you know, what I felt bad for was the players that we brought in, the Boise State, and the commitment that they made to, to help me start this program and their families, and it was crushing for them. And, and those are the ones, the student-athletes, that paid the ultimate penalty, and, and 30 swimming, swimmers and divers also paid the price and uh, got kicked to the curb. And, you know, I played my career, and, and I didn't go through anything like that. And you know, I knew I was going to land back on my feet somewhere, but it was uh, it was a tough time for those for those young kids, and so I just tried to do everything I could to find them a new home. And uh, um, ironically, I was able to sign some of our older players professionally that played last season with the Boise Hawks, and and it was great to be able to have a handful of those guys that I could stay with. And I just signed two more that have come full circle after going out to uh, other colleges and now their college careers are over. And, and so, you know, uh, I, I don't know if we'll be able to add any more cause we had 18 freshmen and those 18 freshmen are in their draft year this year and we'll see what happens, but uh, there might be a chance to reunite and get a few of the band members back together. But I was able to keep my coaching staff and my trainer on board and uh we didn't miss a beat and moved into i mean obviously we were in the we were in the stadium and we were in the locker room and in the office so we we just had to change colors from blue and orange to to green and and uh, you know but yeah it's it's been now that it's kind of settled down um again i feel blessed for this opportunity to be able to stay in the game and and uh, have this opportunity to to help grow Boise Hawks and the brand uh, within this community. And, and I'm in total control of the roster now, uh, which I'm sure, you know, you want to break down some differences between affiliated baseball and independent baseball, but um, having a chance to sign our own players and being in control of that and our salary cap, um, it's a lot like college recruiting in a way where, you know, in professional baseball, you've got your scouting department that, does all the evaluation and, and the drafting, and then they send the players to guys in player development, which I was one of the minor league coaches, and you start developing players. And so you kind of have the, a mix of that in independent baseball, which is a, a lot of fun. So that's the uh, – it's funny how life <clears throat> takes you on a, on a journey, but, you know, just as your one, opportun- one opportunity ends, another one opens up. And I guess around that time, Major League Baseball and their affiliates decided that we don't need – as many minor league teams. And the interesting piece, I guess, is that um, your the Boise Hawks were owned by a conglomerate that owns a number of professional teams and they've got some money and, and they're doing the right thing. Um, <clears throat> so 
they're also located in one of the fastest growing cities in the US, being Boise. So it's interesting how what may many may have seen as an absolute disaster actually could be quite a lucrative opportunity, not only for the ownership group who are building this thing in a, in a city that's growing um, and people are, are heading to um, – over the last couple of years to sort of establish families and roots and stuff like that. But uh, they have a franchise there. They're looking to invest in it. um, And now you're unconstrained, like you can do what you want to do. So I'm really interested to dive into, I guess, as I said, when we sort of kicked off, there is some, there was always this notion that independent baseball was just, you know, rice and beans at the end of the, like you just, scuffling in ramen noodles and there was no money and it was just the end of the road um what are the what are the differences and i guess what you know you said you've got full control so really keen to sort of go through what are the differences between affiliated baseball and independent baseball and i guess what's the upside to a player well i think yeah the biggest difference when you you have an organization like the Boise Hawks who were independently owned, running their business and affiliated with a major league organization, the major league organization, the partnership was, Hey, we'll provide the players. We'll provide the coaches. We'll pay the coaches and players salary and you go run your business and we'll, you know, develop our players and we'll work with that partnership. Sometimes, you know, you can get a great, partnership and affiliation with a major league organization. And sometimes it's, it's not a great partnership. And so, you know, you don't have control totally of the product on the field. The major league team does. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there sometimes. And um, I think the transition now for all of these affiliated teams that were kicked to the curb, and, and they lost their affiliation, and at least for Boise and the entire Pioneer League, um, yeah, feelings were hurt. You know, owners, uh, the value of their franchise, I mean, overnight declined by millions of dollars. And, you know, that, that, that's hard to wake up to. But I think now that you know, you, you got to pick yourself up and move on. The The opportunity to control your own brand and your own destiny is right in front of you. And so, you know, every major league organization is different in their own way. You've got some teams that, you know, like the St. Louis Cardinals that are just there every year. And you've got some organizations with smaller budgets that are getting their teeth kicked in year in and year out. And then you've got others that are playing, you know, in the playoffs, like, like Tampa and Oakland. It's just, it's crazy how, you know, again, people run their business a different way. And we are now, you know, again, building this plane while we're trying to fly it. And it's, it's pretty exciting, especially when you still see the fans coming out, you know, we averaged 2,600 last year now we were blessed. We were full capacity. Uh, um, we didn't know if we were going to get through the season because of COVID and just getting through the season. I mean, just getting through a game and, and, and completing the game with no shutdowns was a huge success for everybody. And so, um, it just kind of, again, ignited that, that fire in everybody's belly to, to, Hey, let's make the best of this. And, Let's figure this out. Um, and so, you know, here we are. I'm a partner to the ownership group now. I'm overseeing the roster and the coaching staff. And obviously, you know, I need to bring a good product onto the field that our salespeople can sell tickets. We can entertain our community. And when you, you do that, it's similar to affiliated baseball, but here are the two differences and why everybody told me you're going to have the time of your life in independent baseball, because every game now I'm managing to win, which that wasn't a priority in affiliated baseball. I was getting paid to develop players to get to the next level and follow that track to the big leagues where now you're getting paid to win 
you know, Joe Madden was getting paid to win ball games and, and try and win a championship. So now I'm doing that, but I don't have the farm system to work with. I've got a 25 man roster to manage through a 96 game schedule. That is very similar and identical to a, you know, short season schedule, but there's more games, but not quite as long as the long season. We're kind of right in the middle. And I can't pick up the phone and call my farm director and get three horses sent in tomorrow night to suit up and play that are really good because I had three guys go down because of injury or a call up or a release. So you always could reload at one phone call and guys were getting on planes and flying here. I'm on the phone constantly during the season, just making sure that our guys are intact. Nobody's going on the IL. If a major league team calls to sign one of my players, it could happen like that. And they're gone the next day. I got to be able to replace that player because I've got 12 position players and 13 pitchers. And so that was one of the biggest adjustments that I faced on the fly was how do I manage this roster, stay competitive, try to win each night, you know, when do I try and look at the game? And if it's getting out of hand, you know, am I going to go to my strongest relievers out of the bullpen, hoping our offense can get us back in the game, but then I lose those guys for tomorrow and now I'm not going to have a bullpen at all tomorrow. So you go out to the mound and ask your pitcher, hey, can you can you wear it for one more inning? I know you're, you're taking a beating, but can you take one for the team? I'm not going to jeopardize your arm and put you in a position to get hurt. But, you know, we need to be able to have some, some bullets uh, tomorrow because we're going to strap it on and, and get ready to play again tomorrow. So those were the, the two biggest differences. Um, and, and it's a very similar to being at the Division One level where all these Division One college coaches are getting paid to win ball games, And, you know, the pressure to win and the salaries that these guys are making. Um, but, you know, it, it's – you're in class. These guys are not professionals. You're not playing every night. You've got a bigger roster. And um, – just yeah it's kind of the best of both worlds i guess and it's about as pure as the game is right now when you compare independent baseball to what's going on at the big leagues with analytics the the way you know players are developed now in the minor leagues is so different than it was 10 years ago um you know guys are getting hired that don't even throw bp anymore um it's all based on launch angles, exit velocities, spin rate, pitch shaping. I mean, I, I'm measuring heart rate still in terms of how I go about my day to day. And I mean, I'm looking for baseball players that know how to compete, have some baseball IQ and are going to show up every day to do their part to help the team win. And, you know, their exit velos are going to be just fine when they square the ball up. And, you know, I need you to throw strikes. I don't need you to throw it 100 miles an hour into the backstop. But in the minor leagues, you know, you're going to go with that guy and teach him how to throw strikes. But you've got three years to do that. If that guy can't throw strikes in three weeks, it might be time for him to get a real job and i got to bring somebody else in. I was interested just while you are talking, like, so – just for a real life comparison. If you're an affiliated ball, <clears throat> your pitcher, your starting pitcher goes out, just blows up in the first inning. How do you manage that versus sort of how you talked about currently? Like you might have to say to that guy, "You need to wear this." Like those that same scenario in two different situations. How do you in the in the pro side of things, you just pull that guy and put someone else in, and as you said, someone dials up. You just don't have a safety net. You're you're on the high wire act with no safety net. It's uh, yeah, it's so different, and that's the um, – I guess that's the piece that's interesting. Um, how is that – I'm interested to know, how does the we here to win approach – how does that aid player development? Obviously, your guys are getting better. Um, what, what's your assessment on that? 
Well, of course, my mind is is been on the development side, you know, for so long that, you know, I want to work with our guys. We're going about our business the same way as I did when I was working for the Chicago Cubs, you know, early work, VP preparation, rest and recovery, strength training, you know, all that stuff. But it's kind of like you're, you're running a big league club because you've got a similar uh, size roster at the big league level. Uh, um, but again, you can call up the guy from AAA tomorrow. I don't have that luxury, but it's the same type of mindset. And yeah, sometimes you gotta, you gotta throw a position player out there in the eighth or ninth because you can't use any more of your bullpen because you won't have anybody for tomorrow. So you kind of wear one, but in a, in a long marathon, you know, grind of a schedule, I'm just looking to win every three game series. And, you know, if that's the case, well, we're going to lose one of those games. And if we can win every, every three game series, we're going to be in, in the hunt at the end. And it's just trusting that process. And, at the end of the day, though, I'm not going to jeopardize a guy's future and, and you know, put him in a position where he's going to get injured. Uh, I will bring in a position player. You know, I still kind of look at that 30 pitches per inning as a red flag. And so every organization is a little bit different. But in the Cubs organization, when you got the 30 pitches in one inning, you better have a guy ready to come in automatically to replace that pitcher so we're not injuring anybody. I might go to 35 depending on the pitcher and I got to know that guy very well and he's got to be honest with me, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to put somebody else in cause I, I can't risk injuring that guy um, and not have him and put him on the 10 day IL, you know, or, or something even worse. So I'm still going to protect that player, not abuse him, And I'll never put a player's future in jeopardy for me to win a ball game. And, you know, having that trust and, and really getting to know your players and getting them to be honest is, is critical. And, you know, how I manage, I think guys, yeah, can be totally transparent with me because a lot of guys are afraid to say they're, they're hurt because in an in, independent baseball, the horror stories is, yeah, you're going to be released tomorrow because I need somebody healthy. And so, we work with our guys, you know, guys are going to get banged up. It's a long, it's a long season. <clears throat> and so, you know, having a training staff that I have um, and our team docs, I mean, it's, we have the resources like a major league team at the big league level and our guys are going to be taken care of. And, and again, I'm just going to get on the phone and, and make sure that, you know, we've got some people out there because there's a lot of guys looking for work now because, Major League Baseball reduced the draft to forty round, from forty rounds to twenty, and uh, I don't see it getting back. I, I see it even getting less, especially if they're going to change things and have an international draft. That'll really, um, you know, change the the complexity of the Major League draft. Pushing the draft back later really impacts those first year players now because they really aren't going to jump into their first season of professional baseball major league teams are going to get those guys groomed for next spring training. So that's changed. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of good players out there that were kind of on the bubble. And those are the players that I'm reaching out to that in a normal 40 round draft would have been drafted in the 25th round, but now that guy's not, and he's still a pretty good player. Hey, come on in to the pioneer league. Let's keep things going. Let's keep working. Let's keep developing you. And, you know, we had three players off of last year's roster that ended up signing with major league organizations. We had over 25 in the league last year. And I think the league's going to get younger because the way our league is set up, I can't sign anybody that has played more than three years of professional baseball. And there's caps, for example, a position player who's played in 45 games, that counts as a full year. So if you played 44 last year in affiliated baseball and you got released, that year doesn't count as a full year to the Pioneer League. So I do have some older players that have kicked around with, with major league organizations for, for a couple years and um, maybe had an injury. You know, they got healthy, of course, the next draft, and 
they were odd man out and they uh, still want a chance to get, you know, out there and play and still get evaluated. And, you know, Major League Baseball, they know what they're doing. I mean, here, yeah, it's all about money and they were cutting costs. That's why they eliminated minor league teams and they're going, hey, we got places like Boise, Idaho that are going to operate their team and pay their players themselves and their coaches. We can sit back and watch the league. And if there's a good young player that pops up, we can come in and, and our contract fees $5,000. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal. So MLB, yeah, they know what they're doing. And uh, it's really, again, changed the landscape of, of minor league baseball and the opportunities that players have, which has impacted international baseball because now less international players other places like Australia, Canada, Europe aren't going to get the opportunities that they got five years ago because there's less rounds and less opportunities. So independent baseball now becomes more than, you know, oh, hey, I'm just going to do that because it's beer league and have one last hurrah to, to play baseball. This is a viable option. And you look at how many players were signed out of independent baseball last year throughout the independent leagues, it was pretty impressive. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how this is all playing out. But um, the interest, I mean, I get phone calls and emails every day uh, from, from good players wanting an opportunity. And the other thing that I've noticed in independent ball and what really is, is been more than what I expected is the players that I'm talking to these are guys that just want to play. There's that self-entitlement has passed them by now. You know, they've either been released or overlooked, hurt, kicked to the curb. They all have a story to tell, and, and they truly just have a passion to compete and play the game. And that has been so refreshing to work with these guys that, that want to come to the park every day knowing that this might be it and they're playing every day like it's their last and you don't get that in affiliated baseball um, and even in college baseball. And so that's been uh, a, a real neat experience for me with these players that I'm talking to. So I want to get into roster construction and, and opportunities for you know Australian players, but the, the one thing before we get there is culture. So – in affiliated baseball, yeah, you're on a team, but you're uh, most players. The objective is to get to the next level. What, uh-huh. what did you see from a cultural perspective? You know, like in a in a true team sense, what were the differences there? Well, it, it was it was kind of reminded me like college baseball, right? <clears throat> so, um, you know, we've got twelve guys coming back off of last year's team that I signed for this season coming up. And <clears throat> you look at the course of our season last year, you know, we started out three and 15. I had seven to 10 days before the season started to bring our guys in. Cause that's again, when we can start paying them and it's a financial deal. I mean, if I had more money, I'd bring guys in earlier, but seven to 10 days, to get a brand new squad together to go play a 96 game schedule. So yeah, we, 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 we took our, 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 uh, our hits early and, but you know, I wanted to get that pitching situated and it took time. A lot of these guys hadn't played in a year. The league was, yeah, it was bad baseball the first few weeks, but um, you know, I just, I really paid attention to what was going on and, and giving guys a fair shake and just kind of trusting the process and having a plan of, Hey, it's not where we're at at the end of May, end of June. It's where we're going to be at at the end of August. And just guys started to buy in. And obviously we had to make some roster changes. Some guys got hurt. Some guys retired. They just that felt, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get on with life. And so, you know, as we kind of went through the season, you know, we had, all those guys that got released out of spring training and affiliated baseball that were looking for jobs. And then you had the end of the college season, guys were looking for jobs. And then you had the end of the draft. So there was these waves throughout the season that all of a sudden there was a whole new layer of players 
um, that weren't options that now are options. And so your roster and your needs and, and what you were looking for, you know, it, it was, again, constantly just looking at tomorrow, even though you needed to take care of today and, and what you needed to be competitive to, again, put your, yourself in a position where you're contending for a championship. And then, you know, we obviously uh, got through the first half and I kind of looked at, okay, hey, our season split in two halves. We're going to go all in on the second half and uh, see if we can win it. And went down the wire. We ended up winning the second half. We had a great run. That culture, we only had one all-star. And I attribute our success to the guys in that locker room. We ended the season with 14 players that started the season, which I hear in independent baseball is unheard of. And a lot of those guys that finished the season with us were role guys, you know, our fourth outfielder, our third catcher, guys that weren't playing every day, but they, they accepted their roles. And they, you know, it, it was great because once we started clicking and started to have some success and we got our pitching in order for the second half, we, we lengthened guys out. We knew what our bullpen was looking like and who was going to come in and leverage situations. We had, we, we added some left-handed pitching and, and matchups and things like that. And, you know, we just kept getting better and better and better. And, and there we were, found ourselves in the, the championship series um, with Missoula and down to the third and final game with a chance to win a championship. And so it was, uh, it was a great journey. But, again, you got to have a little bit of luck. you got to have guys that, you know, stay healthy and guys that you're counting on need to step up and have good years for you. And then you need to have a couple surprises, just like, you know, any team in the big leagues, look at the Atlanta Braves. They're a perfect example. Right. And so, you know, it's just trusting that process, having a plan, having a vision, talking to the guys, you know, when I'm on the phone and asking them, you know, important questions. And, and part of that is, you know, guys still have that dream of playing in the big leagues. Guys are coming to the yard every day wanting to know who's here watching because they want to sign and get back into affiliated baseball for the second or third time and for some guys the first time. So I've got to be able to balance that and be real with these guys saying, hey, I'm here to help you, but there's a reason why you're here. Let's can control what you can control Let's do everything we can to help this organization and team win ball games. And if, if we do, that means we're going to have some guys that are going to get some attention. And we had two guys sign after the season, you know, ended uh, because they, they put up great numbers and they got better as the season went on. And, um, you know, Major League Baseball is paying attention to everything that's going on um, in independent baseball. But uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, <clears throat> there was one time during the season where we went on the road and we had eight position players and, uh, we lost our shortstop. The Royals signed him. I had to put a guy on the IL to get our shortstop off the IL who had a hamstring injury and the Royals wanted to see if he was healthy. And then our starting pitcher that game tweaked his back and, um, he looked like he was going to be out for at least 10 days. And then our uh, <clears throat> backup catcher who also played second base broke his leg in a freak tag play. So within 24 hours, I had four roster moves to make. And now I'm, I'm down <laughs> and scrambling and, oh, we're going on the road. So, you know, I'm calling somebody in Idaho Falls to see if they could be a bullpen catcher because we only had one healthy catcher. Because uh, one of our other catchers was on the DL previously, so it, it was it was crazy uh, trying to navigate through that. And you know, you, you're looking at your pitching staff and you're seeing, okay, who played a position in high school? You know, can this guy play the outfield tonight? And oh, my starting pitcher, okay, I got a week to find at least six innings because that's going to be his next start. So that's not a priority. I got to find a catcher and an infielder ASAP and, you know, being on the road when that happens is tough because they got to come in, they got to pass their physical with our team docs in Boise. And, you know, 
they're paying their own way to get to Boise, you know, so it, it becomes uh, pretty interesting. So you just got to kind of stay on top of it. But again, going back to culture, that's huge for me. And to me, that wins championships. I look at the culture that we had at the big league level with the Chicago Cubs. Um, there's a reason why we won the World Series that year. And um, yeah, having some guys with experience, having role guys that are going to buy in and and do everything they can to help the team um, and, and letting guys play and, and be themselves. And just kind of being true to your word and being consistent and not getting too high, not getting too low. But, yeah, culture is big. And, again, that's why I'm more interested in evaluating a guy's heart rate than, than spin rate. The So there's a big difference between compiling a roster and then managing a roster. And you talk through some of the challenges of managing the roster. What differences <clears> – <throat> last year was the first year you put together a team – what takeaways do you have from what putting a team together, seeing how it worked, to putting your roster together this year? What what would change from your approach? Um, well, looking at last year's club, you know, some of the things that we needed to prove on was okay. It all starts on the mound, right? So I need. Once I, once I went down the roster and I talked to every player three weeks after the season ended, you know, I wanted to give them time to get back home and just, yeah, rest, recover, get some sleep and, um, <clears throat> you know, see where they're at because they're all in a different place. I got some older guys, you know, that are wondering, hey, do I want to keep grinding? You know, what, what, where, where's this headed? Got some younger guys that are, you know, wanting to go to grad school and, and maybe focusing on uh, their career. So it, it just takes some time to go through that. And it, and then I had some guys that wanted to come back, but, you know, they were older and I felt it was better for their development to go play with guys their age in, in older independent leagues. Because right now the Pioneer League is kind of set up to be that A level of independent baseball. And then the Frontier League is kind of advanced A, double A, though I think we can compete with the Frontier League. They just have some older guys that they can have on their roster, um, some double-A guys, you know. And then the American Association is double-A, triple-A, and the Atlantic League is ex-big leaguers, triple-A guys. So, you know, that's kind of how things are playing out in, in independent levels. So, you know, I had some older guys that, yeah, wanted to come back. They loved it. They had a great experience, but they were veteran guys. They were older, and – and I wanted to try and help them find new opportunities. And so and there were some guys I wanted back, but they wanted to kick the tires and see what else was out there and, and uh, experience maybe another league and another team. And I was in full support of that. So when the dust settled, we had 13 guys returning. Uh, I lost our starting right fielder about oh, two months ago to the Diamondbacks, which was awesome that he got an opportunity to sign with the Diamondbacks. So, We've got 12 guys returning, which is half of our roster. So then I looked at those 12 guys. What are they bringing to the table now, being returners, having some experience? And, you know, I, I wanted to fill my pitching staff with guys that were going to throw more strikes because I didn't think we threw enough strikes last year. We had some guys that had some arm strength and can run it up there. But at the end of the day, we need to be in the strike zone more. So the pitching that, you know, we're bringing in, uh, based on, you know, data, stats, um, cross-checking, looking at video, you know, we were able, I think, to bring in guys that are going to be able to throw more strikes. Offensively, we needed to make sure that we had enough left-handed bats, right-handed bats. I wanted to increase our team speed overall. We, we, didn't, we didn't have uh, um, a lot of team speed last year, so I wanted to improve on that. So again, during the off season, I've got more time. I'm, I'm uncovering rocks. I'm looking for, you know, a left-handed swinging first baseman that can hit in the middle of the order and has power. And, you know, I was able to find that guy. And, and um, so being more balanced offensively was a priority, putting the ball in play more, striking out less, 
Maybe we don't have as many home runs, but we've got more guys on base and we're manufacturing more runs. And, um, and then defensively, just finding guys that can come in and make routine plays. So we lost our entire infield from last year, so we had to replace, you know, third, short, second, first, and a fourth infielder. And, you know, I'm excited about the guys that we have coming in because uh, they can they can field their position. They can also have some diversity, which is critical with only 12 position players. You know, I need to have guys that maybe have played the outfield, um, have played a couple infield positions, and bring some diversity to their skill set because you never know when you're going to need it. And if you bring in a guy that can really hit but doesn't have a position, that really puts pressure, you know, on your position players because you only have 12. And you might have a couple pitchers who, yeah, could, you know, swing the bat if need be or pinch run. And uh, having some pitchers that are athletic that maybe played a position in junior college or high school is going to be valuable. So, you know, those utility guys are, are, are very important when you're, when you're looking at building your roster. But, you know, that's kind of how, you know, I go about it and uh, everybody's different again, but um, we've got a couple spots left to fill on our pitching staff and I'm just kind of holding on to see what happens when minor league camps start because there's going to be a lot of guys released at the end of March and I'm going to have a couple contracts available in April when, you know, some good players are scrambling, wanting to keep that dream alive and, and I'm going to be in a position to be able to offer uh, a guy a contract, you know. So we're, we're in good shape this time last year. Yeah, <laughs> I was building the roster from scratch. So I, I feel a lot more calm at this point than, than I did last year. And w- we talked last year because there's a couple of Australian guys outside of affiliated baseball that would have been phenomenal um, to be given the opportunity for them. And the league sort of had a, we're not taking international players. Are there any independent leagues that take or can take international players? And do you ever see that loosening up or is it going to stay U S centric? Well, I I think in in the other leagues that have been around a lot longer that process visas, because it's, it's up to each individual team to now process the, the visas where, with a major league organization, we have a department that does all that and it happens pretty quickly. And that's why you see so many international players, you know, being signed and, and uh, which is great for the game. And, you know, with my international connections and, you know, playing for team Canada back in the day and and knowing um, there's good players all over the place. uh, I've got to be pretty, again, uh, selective because for us right now, and I think it'll change, but for right now, I, I can only sign a player that's legal to work in the U.S. And so, but you look at my roster, I have a Canadian player that's a dual citizen. He's uh, in Windsor, Ontario, and he's coming back this year. He's, uh, you know, our starting left fielder was our leadoff guy and, and broke the, the hits record uh, for the Boise Hawks last year. And, and so, but he's dual and, uh, you know, he's got one parent that's Canadian, one that's American. And, and that's how we were able to get that done. Some of my international guys, you know, uh, our catchers from Venezuela, he got his U S citizenship when he was younger, uh, going to college. So he's legal to work. And, uh, you know, that that's the key right now for us. But I think as we kind of figure this out, there'll be more opportunities. Because, yeah, there were a couple players that I was talking to from Australia, from Canada, that uh, I would have loved to have signed, but we weren't in position to, to do their visas. And that costs money and takes some time. And so we will uh, kind of figure that out as an organization within our ownership group and front office to see if we could expand on that and, and look to sign international players and, and bring them in on a player visa so we can pay them legally and, and they can be in the country legally, but it's just going to take some time, but there are some other independent clubs that uh, are better prepared to do that and uh, they will do that. And so uh, I think it's just a matter of, you know, doing your homework and finding out which clubs, you know, have everything in place and the right protocols 
to be able to to sign international guys, in particular, you know, Australian players. So, taking nearly an hour of your time, and I just, I guess, um, I was saying to you off air that there's just been this real run. I think there's 40 Australian uh, kids going to play college baseball, and I, I guess I wanted to finish up with just asking your opinion on how the college game has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years because I do, I still think um, Australian players don't quite understand how good college baseball is. We've been talking about professional baseball in this uh, podcast. But, yeah, I was, I was sort of keen to hear from you how the college game has evolved and, you know, some of the key differences from when you first got into the college game to sort of how it is now. And, yeah, just a quick assessment from you as to what's the state of that game and um, – you know, how, how things are tracking or, or what, what kids should expect if they were heading towards it or thinking about that pathway as an option? No, I think going the college route, you know, is a great route, especially for an international player. And I kind of look at my own example, you know, coming out of Canada. And, of course, I'm a lot closer to the U.S., you know, just crossing the border than Australian players. But, you know, what's changed a lot in the college game is the pressure to win and the time restrictions. And so you can't spend a whole lot of time developing college players, especially at the division one level because of the the calendar and when the season starts and, you know, the academic piece and the pressure to win, um, you know, and I know everybody looks at that. I got to, I got to play division one baseball and, you know, it's, it's a challenge and it's going to take again, the right steps to be able to compete at that level. But it, to me, there's, you know, you got division three, division two, NAIA, obviously division one baseball, and then you have junior college baseball. So there's a lot of different levels to look at. And when you look at big league rosters, they're, they're players from everywhere. And, it's not just, yeah, everybody talks about D1 baseball. If you want to get to the big leagues, you got to play Division One baseball. Well, yeah, that's the highest level collegiately. So, yeah, the numbers are going to sway to that when you're looking at big league rosters that these guys play Division One. But, hey, the big leagues don't care, right? I mean, if you're a junior college player, if you're an NAI player, Division Three, hey, it, it, it doesn't matter, man. They're, they're looking for, uh, obviously, highly skilled players, talent, projection, you know, when you're grading out all the tools. Um, and so for me, what I try and educate young players who are in high school trying to figure out, you know, wh- where to go, what to do, it's, it's hey, find an opportunity that's going to continue to help you grow and develop. And it might be a junior college for a year or two. And, you know, you got to look at the academic piece, but What's happening at the Division One level that has really changed the entire um, mentality is that transfer portal now. And so you see a lot of Division One programs, they're recruiting out of the transfer portal and getting players that were at other Division One programs who maybe aren't happy, they're not playing as much, you know, fell out of favor of that coaching staff or a new coaching staff has come in. They didn't recruit those players. So there's like 3,000 players in the transfer portal right now who are at the Division One level that are all looking for jobs. And that's, a, that's in basketball, that's in football, and all sports, male, female. And so, you know, high school players need to understand that and realize that. And, you know, with some programs being dropped, like Boise State, that eliminates opportunities. And um, with COVID and rosters expanding, there's a lot of kids that are kind of getting lost trying to chase that Division One, you know, status uh, or, or offer. And, you know, you got to be really good. And just like if you're a first or second, third, fourth rounder out of the draft, yeah, that might be a great opportunity for you to sign because the investment's going to be there and the time to develop is going to be there. Um, scholarships aren't guaranteed for four years. Most times it's one year and, and there's just, there's just a lot that goes to it. So I think it's just 
doing your homework, knowing what you're looking for, you know, what, what's important to you, what kind of experience do you want. Don't be that chaser, be that player that's going to stay in the moment and is going to choose opportunities that is going to help them through the process and just keep getting better and keep growing. Cause there's a lot of kids that never truly find out their true potential because they kind of get stuck or their eligibility's over or, you know, they just didn't get the reps because of the restrictions um, at, at the college level and all the NSA rules. And so sometimes it's better to go to a junior college that doesn't have all the time restrictions. You're going to play more, and you're going to play more games, um, and that might be the best route. That was the best route for me. And I look at even independent baseball in the Pioneer League, you know, I've got a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old on the mound that are both prospects. They weren't projected to be top 10-round picks, or I would have never offered the opportunity to them. But they love Boise. And obviously I had a relationship with them when I recruited them when I was at Boise state, but they, they both, um, forego. Well, I mean, made the decision to forego their draft status and college eligibility to start their professional career in independent baseball Mm. to play in a 96 game schedule, which is two college seasons in a traditional you know, baseball schedule in warm weather um, in front of 2,500, 3,000 people, which doesn't happen at the college level. And the growth that these two young players have experienced just in one season has been almost worth two full years of college. Mm. And it, it, it it's an outside-of-the-box really look at what's best for their future. They're both banking on themselves that they're going to make it to the big leagues. It's not about the signing bonus. It's about, Hey, when I get to the big leagues, I'll get paid, but this is going to be the best opportunity for me to develop, to get an opportunity. And someone's going to come get them for the right price. Cause it's only going to cost them $5,000. And I can't have a staff full of 19 year olds because they're also pitching to 24, 25 year olds. And, but man, to see their eyes, just a deer in headlights or a kangaroo in headlights, man, uh, uh, standing in the middle of the freeway going, wow, this is mm, totally different than if I would have gone that traditional route. And that's why you see some, you know, high end draft picks going to jet, going to Japan right away and bypassing the minor leagues and riding the buses for three years, they're going to take the same amount of money to go to Japan and play in the big leagues over there and parlay that into going to the big leagues and being better prepared for the big leagues. So I think COVID has changed the minds of everybody and everybody looks at things differently, right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever. I mean, it's each his own. But, um, yeah, I'm always looking for maybe that young JC guy who isn't that excited about school, um, that is very projectable, that, that probably was going to get drafted in the 25th round that I can bring in and maybe give him more than what a four-year school can give them. And all of a sudden, bam, they take off and they get a chance to get in with a major league organization that way. I mean, it's just a different way of looking at it, but I've had some conversations with some guys and, you know, they're, they're looking at it and considering it, but obviously I'm not going to do it, do that with a high end prospect that's going to get drafted in the fifth round and, and, and have a signing bonus. This is for that, that kind of guy that's just kind of caught in the middle and, and needs something that's going to help him reach his full potential. And so, you know, I'm kind of on the phone talking to, to some JC guys to see, yeah, if they'd be interested in starting their pro career in the Pioneer League. Gary, appreciate your time. Um, just a ton of information there and insight and, uh, yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing part of your journey and, and hopefully educating some young Australian players and their parents about 
sort of the different options and, and where a baseball career can take them. So uh, thank you very much and uh, good luck for this season. Thanks, dude. It's been a pleasure, man. Great talking to you. All right. Take care.